A telling thing happened a while back when Jesus was standing in front of Pontius Pilate. It's right here in the Bible, John 18, 36. Jesus says to him, for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now, Pilate says this, wait for it. He says, what is truth? Shabam, there it is, the big kahuna, the spicy enchilada, the fizzy lifting drink, the question of the ages, and it's not much different today, which is why you hear claims like it's true for you, but not for me, or there is no truth, or truth is relative, bro, or the ever so popular speak your truth. Now, these things all sound nice and sweetie sweet, but what in the world do they mean? Well, let's take it's true for you, but not for me. Now, in all honesty, doesn't the person who says this to you want you to believe what he's saying? He's assuming that his relativistic claim is universally true, right? Everything is relative, I guess, except his relativism. Now, if something can only be true for me, which it can't, then it doesn't apply to you or anyone else, so what's the point in saying it? But if it is true for everyone, then the claim is wrong because it's only claiming to be true for me and not for you. Get it? Okay, maybe it's not clear right this second, but things that contradict themselves, like this claim, cannot be true. What about the claim there is no truth? Oh, yet another statement that demolishes itself by its own standard. After all, is that claim true? If so, it's wrong. If the claim is not true, then it's true that the statement there is no truth is not true, which means there is truth, which makes the claim false. Moving on to the popular speak your truth. I gotta ask you in all seriousness, is there really your truth and my truth? Truth is what is. It corresponds to reality. It's black and white, either or, fact kind of stuff, right? Tiny Tammy tossed the toy pterodactyl tenderly into the Thames that Tuesday, or she didn't. It's pretty simple, really. Truth is truth, and it doesn't change with the pronoun. Now, you might disagree and throw your hands up in objection, that is, until, of course, you are on the receiving end of a lie. I'm sorry, somebody else's truth that contradicts reality. Let's say you deposited $100 into the bank yesterday, but the banker's truth is that you didn't. Your sweet hundo, gone. Oh no. Let's say you got every answer on every test right, but the teacher's truth is that you flunked the whole grade. Now you have to repeat it. Your summer, gone. See, I think you get it. And I think you'd be fighting pretty hard for the truth, you know, the thing that corresponds to reality in those specific scenarios, because lies, I'm sorry, other people's truths that aren't true have huge consequences. Relativism is not only flawed, it's unlivable and unsustainable. And let's be honest, nobody wants a relative answer when they ask a real question, especially if it's directions to a gas station when you have to go to the bathroom. But wait a second, what if I say my favorite candy is M&M's and you say your favorite candy is Snickers? See, what's true for me is not true for you in that sense, right? Well, actually, wrong. See, I'm saying it's true that my favorite candy is M&M's and you are saying it's true that your favorite candy is Snickers. We're simply stating the truth about our preferences. Now, you gotta watch out for preferences, beliefs, and opinions trying to sneak their way into Truth's exclusive club. After all, you can prefer that you have a blue hat when you only have a white one, but it doesn't change the facts. You can believe the moon is made out of cheese, but it doesn't make it true. And it might be your opinion that five plus five is actually 13, but you'd be wrong. See, tricky word games don't change the truth. They get you nowhere. As Double Dubs would say, you get nothing, you lose. Good day, sir. But what about morality? Ah, that's the big one. One person thinks it's wrong to commit adultery, and another thinks it's not. So the one might say, I'm glad you have your truth, baby, but it doesn't work for me. First of all, what you think about the truth doesn't change it. A thing is either true or not, even moral duties and obligations. Second, truth is not dependent on the subject, that is you or me. It's objective. 
So whether it works for us or not doesn't change what's actually true. Third, since these two claims are in direct opposition to one another, only one can be true. This is the irrefutable, unstoppable, unbreakable, incontrovertible law of non-contradiction smashing through the nonsensical, irrational, and weak wall of hocus-pocus relativism. And curiously, here we are today right where Pilate was, having to deal with the one who calls himself the way, the truth, and the life, claiming that no one gets to the Father, that is God, except through him. That's either true or it's not. And we can either deal with it head on or we can, like Pilate and like Romans declares, suppress the truth and unrighteousness, which leads us to make claims like, what's true for you is not for me. Truth is relative. There is no truth, etc., etc., all of which heretofore have been debunked. Adios. Okay, you got all that? Let's just go to lunch. It's done. You know, for the longest time, I, I lived my life um, with a deeply held thought. And the thought was, um, I could not be loved or accepted unless I produced. My value, my worth were placed upon whether I performed well in the various areas I selected. It's like I had a soundtrack in my head and it was on repeat over and over again. You're not worth anything unless you do stuff. You don't have any value unless you really perform in life. So I am telling you, that's how I lived. I, I performed. I made great grades. I apple polished coaches and teachers. I worked hard. But I'm telling you, in so many ways, I was miserable. My mental health was based upon whether I had done well in certain areas of life. But it wasn't just a specific area. It was all of the areas. And so what would happen is like I'd have a great performance at a baseball game. Three hits, played well in the field, etc. However, I also didn't make the grade on the test that I felt like I should have made. You know what I'm saying? And I spoke to a young lady, and she didn't say back what I really wanted her to say, which happened all the time, and I would go down really, really quick. It was like I was on this roller coaster in my life having to prove my value. All the time in my life, internally and externally, there was a confession I was making. Anytime I would make a mistake, a failure, just didn't live up to what I thought, I would say this, come on, worthless, you can do better. Come on, worthless, you can make it better. I became a follower of Jesus when I was 13, but that soundtrack was still playing in my head. So I actually approached my faith in the same way. I was going to prove to Jesus I was worthy of his love. And so what would happen is I would give in to temptation. I know none of you know what that means, but for me, I struggle. I gave in to some temptations. I would fail. I would repent, but I felt like I needed to compensate for my sin. And so to compensate, the thing I did the most was read the Bible, which meant, as a young man, I read a lot of Bible. And you may think, well, that's a great thing to read the Bible. The problem is I was reading the Bible through the lens of performance, by the time I was 17 years old, that which was in my mind affected my body and I became sick. They put me in the hospital, did all sorts of tests that should be outlawed, in my opinion, and found out I had good old-fashioned stomach ulcers. Not the kind that come from various illnesses that some of you have had. Mine just came from good old-fashioned worry, fret in life. You would think that would wake you up. It didn't. That's how I went through college. My undergraduate degree, four years of that, I was married three of those years. I took 17 to 20 semester hours. At any given time, I worked a job, plus I led a ministry. Those jobs in ministry were 35 to 40 hours a week. I had an incredible grade point average, and I looked down on the rest of you yahoos who could not do as much as I could. Because if I did more than you did, that means I was worth more. But at the same time, my brain was like fried. I was losing it. No peace. No joy. 
And I was fairly miserable to be around from what I understand. Here's my question for you. What would you say to the young me? Just in your mind, right? Formulate the ping. You see me running very, very hard, like striving so hard, running and pushing beyond what you know are healthy boundaries for my life. What would you say to me? See, I bet most of you would tell me that I'm like believing a lie. You might quote to me Proverbs 23, that for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so you would tell me that what's happened in my life, this never ending need to prove myself was because I'm believing something I shouldn't be believing. I'm believing that which is not true. And you would tell me that because you were here last week. You engaged online, you read your book, you were doing the things in small group you're supposed to be doing. But I could also respond with a verse. You heard about in the video, Pilate asked, what is true? What is true in life? What is the truth? Hear me, that question, what is truth, is the entire crux of our journey towards mental health. See, there's a crisis of mental health that exists in our country. It is actually existing in the truth because there is a crisis of truth. Now, I challenge you, stick with me on this one. This is the game changer. This is what we have to decide if we want to go on the journey God has for us. And I'm going to tell you, none of this is found in your book. You can't think, I'll tune out and I'll just read it later. This is coming up. The book makes an assumption. We're going to talk about the assumption right now. So if you have your Bible, South Campus, North Campus, our online family, if you have your Bible, you need to turn to the eighth chapter of the Gospel of John because it's a chapter you're going to want to meditate on this coming week. At our physical campuses, man, if you don't have a Bible, underneath your chair or the chair in front of you is a black color Bible. We're on page 894. And if you're online, online campus, there is a Bible icon you can click on there. If you're YouTube or Facebook, you can push pause, find your Bible, download the U version app, something. Turn to the eighth chapter of John. Contained in John 8 are six words that I would challenge are the most oft-quoted words from Scripture in our society. Now, the issue is they never mean what they mean in Scripture. You've seen the words. The truth will set you free. I mean, come on, how many of you have heard that in our society? Hands up right now. We all have, but the first person to say these words, if you look at verse 32, was actually Jesus. And Jesus said, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The problem I see in our society is not that we quote Jesus. The problem is we quote Jesus out of context. Have you discovered yet in life that if you take words out of context, they don't mean the same thing? People rarely look at the context, so you want to read the words around them. You go back up to verse 31. Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you what? Free. But notice, the first word he says is this. If, if is a statement of condition. It is a Statement about cause and effect. If you do this, then this occurs in life. If, then. So stop right here. Catch the immensity of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is in an environment like we're in. A church setting. You can look back up at verse 20. He is in the temple courts. Now the difference is he didn't have an online group, an online family at that time. But he's doing what we're doing right now. He's talking to people in church. And he is saying that for every human being Freedom is available. It's not just a possibility. It is absolutely available. Freedom is available, and I have to conclude that freedom includes mental health. It includes peace in our minds. It is available, but it is not automatic. 
if you do what? You abide in my word. You make your home in my word. In essence, his word becomes the foundation, the basis of how we think in life. From his word, we will find truth. And that truth will set us free. Does freedom sound good to you? Does it sound like I want to be able to think like I know I'm supposed to think? Here's the problem. We as a culture wrestle with truth. It's really an amazing inconsistency. Increasingly, we hold to an ideology of philosophy called relativism. Relativism is the assumption or the belief that there is no such thing as absolute truth. That there is nothing right, nothing wrong for anyone. Relativism is the $10 word. For that may be true for you, but not true for me. We've all heard it. Basically, relativism says there's nothing true for everyone. And it's actually connected to another ism. It's called subjectivism, which basically says not only is there nothing right and wrong for everyone, but I get to choose what's right for me. You get to choose what's right for you. It may be right for you, but it may not be right for me. I determine what's true for me. And it sounds great and noble. However, no one believes it. Because what I've discovered is this. Humans who claim to be moral relativists are only relativists when it benefits them. But the other time, they're absolutist. I've never felt a person who didn't feel violated when somebody stole from them. Let's just say you walk outside into the parking lot after church today. You go outside your home this afternoon. And somebody's broken the window out of your car, and they've taken something valuable inside of that. How would you feel? Would you feel wronged? You say, well, absolutely. Why? What if it's true for you? that you're not supposed to steal, but maybe it's not true for that other person. Maybe it's true for them that they can steal. See, I've never met anyone who didn't say they felt violated when somebody lied to them. I've never had a person whose spouse cheated on them, that they were not angered, or when someone had a family member that was the victim of violence that they did not want justice somehow in their lives. But if you hold to the mantra that's true for you, but not true for me, and your spouse cheats on you, then you have to say consistently what? Well, it may be wrong for me as a spouse to cheat on you, but it may not be wrong for you to cheat on me. Somebody lies to you. They cheat you in business. You would have to say, well, it may be wrong for me to cheat in business, but it might not be wrong for you. Maybe that's true for you, but not true for me. And listen to me. No one's ever going to do it. Because innate in the human species is a sense of righteousness and justice. And righteousness and justice are based on what? An absolute standard. Listen to me. We want to be relativists when it benefits us. And it's creating havoc in our brains. We know deep within there is truth. Jesus said as much. When Jesus told the original audience back in the text that the truth is going to set you free, if you look at verse 33, they go, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not slaves, and we've never been slaves of anyone, which is really ironic for Jewish people to be saying that. But anyway, but then in verse 34, Jesus answered that and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is what? A slave to sin. Do you know what sin means? Sin means you did something wrong in the original language. 
It is the image of an archer, somebody shooting with a bow and arrow. And to sin means that that archer missed the target. He missed his mark. To sin is to miss the mark. But the only way you can miss the mark is if there is a mark. Listen carefully. Jesus came to set you and I free, not just from sinful behavior, but from sinful, destructive thinking in life. How does that happen? Back up to what Jesus said. If you abide in my words... You are truly my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Mental health comes as we do this thing. We replace lies with truth. Mental health is going to come as we replace lies with truth. We're going to find the peace we long for. But as long as we struggle to believe that there is anything as truth, we will struggle to find peace in our minds. See, Often people find their identity, their self. Everyone's looking for identity. Everyone's looking for self-worth in life. They want to know, who am I? And sometimes people are like I was for the longest time. They find it in their performance, how well I did at something. But normally when people are doing it on performance, it's, it's usually they see themselves in light of their mistakes. I am what I did or what I didn't do. You know, other, other people find their identity in what other people say about them. That's what social media has shown us. Have you discovered the lack of mental health that's in the many of our teenagers, all based around the number of likes, the number of friends, and things like that, or lack thereof on their social media? And they're basically thinking, I am who others say that I am. And we, as a people, often find ourselves saying something as simple, I'm not enough. And when somebody says, I'm not enough, the standard answer is, that's not true. But if we believe in relativistic truth, that may be true for you that you're enough, but it may not be true for them. Maybe their truth is they're not enough. What if their truth is they are, in essence, the sum of what other people believe about them? What if their truth is they really are a screw-up? They've just made a lot of mistakes in life. I mean, think about this. If there is no truth, there is no lie. And the world is chaotic and spinning out of control. If there is no truth, there is no stability. There is no security. How do you know the days ahead can be held for you in the hands of one if you don't know that he is true? You hear what I'm saying? If there is no truth... There is no stability. If there is no truth, then the crises and difficulties of this world should overwhelm us. Hear me, you should worry. You should be depressed. You should be anxious. It is no wonder our minds are struggling to find peace in our world today. It is one reason I suspect that Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Interestingly, most people see this as a negative. They see it as, well, Jesus is saying he's the only way to the Father. I see it as a positive. I can get to the Father. There is a way. There is a path that I can go on. And listen to me. That Father is the source of all that is true. Truth is derived from the character and the ways of God. How many of you believe lying is wrong? Just throw them up right now. Some of you are lying right now because you won't raise your hands. Why is lying wrong? It just is. There has to be a basis. 
Lying is wrong because the God who is revealed to us is honest and just. He cannot lie. So therefore, honesty is right and true. And lying is false and destructive. It comes from the nature of who God is. Should we love and respect all other human beings, we'd all go, absolutely, why? Why is slavery wrong? I mean, think about the outplay of this. If we are merely the product of evolution, like, Pastor, you're going there, aren't you? I am, just for a second. Meaning evolution without anything behind it, anyone behind it. If we are just the product of statistical improbability, the foundational belief of evolution is survival of the fittest. So if I am stronger than you, why not just take you and make you my slave? Why not just take you and kill you? Why, why is murder wrong? Why is killing wrong? Why is violence against another human being? I mean, we like to say in our world, it may be true for you, but not true for me, but you can't hurt somebody else. Why can't I? Maybe it's true for you that I can't hurt somebody else, but maybe it's true for me. I can. You listen to it? You know why you can't hurt another human being? You know why? That we are people that show love and respect to other humans? Because on day six, however you interpret day six, I don't care right now. From the dust of the earth, God said, let us make humans in our own image. In our likeness, let us make them. Male and female, we make them. We show love, honor, and respect for other humans because God birthed us in the image and the likeness of the God, uh, of his likeness. Listen to me. God has made truth knowable to us by revealing himself and his ways to us in Scripture. And he even went beyond that and he revealed his character and his heart to us in Jesus Christ. Listen to me. We find peace. We find this elusive thing that we're looking for in our society called health in our minds as we replace lies with not just what we call truth, but the truth that is derived from God himself. See, the greatest lie we face is there is no truth. And the more we believe the lie that there is no truth, the more we struggle to find this elusive thing called mental health. It is destroying us. But Jesus said, if you'll abide in my word, you're going to increasingly become mine. And as you abide in my words, you're going to know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And he goes on to say, and if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. I don't know about you, but I want to be indeed free. I remember when I first saw it. My striving, work, work harder than anyone else kind of person went on into adulthood. And I was reading several books at once because that made me more valuable than the rest of you who wouldn't read more books than that. You know, I said, that's ludicrous. Believing any lie is ludicrousy. Isn't it amazing? Have you ever discovered yourself believing a lie and then when you discovered it was a lie, you can't believe how foolish you were to believe the lie? See, that's the nature of deception. I was believing that lie. And in one of the books, I'll remember the book. I'm not going to tell you the name of the book because it probably wouldn't be a great book for you. I've discovered that a great book, a great sermon, whatever it might be, is 
when a word is timely spoken for your life, when God uses that for your life. You guys have recommended me all sorts of books. I got stacks of them. The greatest book I ever read, I'll start reading it and I'll go, eh, it's an okay book. It's an okay book for me, though it is true, but it was a great book for you because it was timely for your life. A word aptly fit, the proverb says, is like a nugget of gold. So what I'm telling you is don't bring me all your books that you think are the greatest books in the world, okay? It needs to be a timely book. What do I do with the books you give me? I put them in a stack, and when God tells me to read them, I read that book. And I'm not reading more than one book at a time. Now, anyway, I was reading this book. And the book said, because of justification, justification is one of those words that talk about the work that Jesus did on the cross. Because of justification, I bear Christ's righteousness, and I am therefore fully pleasing to God. And I remember looking at those words, fully pleasing, and in my brain I thought, that's bull crap. And I didn't say the other word because that would be poor performance, right? But then I did the radical thing, and I went to the scriptures he referenced for this, and I began abiding in the references, in the scripture. I started making my home, thinking of myself in light of Romans 5, verse 1. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Later on in Romans, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while I was yet a sinner, Christ Jesus died for me. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was living under a lie, and I was having the influence of hell on my brain. It hit me that my worth, my value are not based upon how well I did or did not do. Before I did anything to try to prove my worth and my value to God, before I was striving to try to tell God that I am worthy of your love, he paid the greatest price for me. No price has ever been paid that is greater than what Jesus paid for me. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for me, to battle death, hell, and the grave, and to overcome it, and he offered me life as a gift. Nothing has ever been paid for anything more than that. Now, it's not just me. Every person who has lived, is living, will ever live had the same price paid for them. I'm not worth any more than any other human but I'm not worth less than any other human either. And the moment I said yes to accept the love of Jesus in my life, he covered me with the robe of Jesus, and I became fully pleasing to God. I have never been more accepted by God than the moment I said yes to be his follower. All the things that I could do in life do not make me more acceptable, more loving to him. So when I heard myself, I heard that soundtrack start to play. And I was believing the lie of performance. Or I would be doing something and I knew in my brain I was striving to prove my worth. I began to speak the word of God. Therefore, since I've been justified by faith, I have peace with God through my Lord Jesus Christ. God demonstrated his love for me in this. While I was yet a sinner, Christ Jesus died for me. And I wrote a declaration. It changed every time I said it. I don't care. We're going to talk a lot more about declarations next week, by the way. 
And I wrote a declaration that went something like this. Because I have received by faith Jesus and the work of Jesus on the cross, I am completely justified and I have absolute peace with God. This truth will not make me lazy or complacent. That was my fear. Because the only motivation I had ever known in life was to work for my worth, to perform for my love. And I was fearful I was going to become a lazy fool. It is not the case. Because there's other truths that God say about working hard as well. But that his truth will actually motivate me rightly to serve and to live with joy for his glory. Please hear me. David, are you saying you've got this thing absolutely whipped? I do not. I'm just going to tell you it's more whipped than it's ever been. I mean, truth is, I stand in front of a group of people almost every week. And I'd like to tell you that how I do or how I feel like I do before you doesn't matter, but it still does. But far less than it used to. Because I walk off stage or walk out of the room right before I preach. A lot of you have noticed that. You say, what do you do? I go to the bathroom because it's a miserable thing to have to go to the bathroom while you're doing this. See, I don't get to get up in service like you do. I'm just like dancing because I'm excited. I got to go to the bathroom. But I also go to my office and I kneel down. <laughs> I say, Jesus, this is for you. Would you take the weakness and the foolishness and the absurdity of my human words and would you use them to do something tremendous in the lives of people right now? And I trust that his strength is greater than my weakness, that I could perform to the best of my ability. And if he does nothing, no life will ever be touched. But if I just give him what I have and he does a work, I could get up here and say Humpty Dumpty over and over again and he would change your life because that's how powerful he is. To be really vulnerable, during the pandemic, the lie came back. Isn't it interesting? A lot of lies that I had worked through and really had pushed down, they all started coming back with a vengeance. I bet some of you found the same thing. I bet some of you thought, I thought I was done with that. I thought I was further along this. It's like God's using the pandemic to get some stuff really deep inside of us. This may be one of the hardest seasons we go through, and we may look back, and it could be one of the best seasons we've ever gone through in some ways because of the work Jesus does in our hearts and lives. I can tell you this, I am battling with truth. And more than ever, the truth of Jesus is reigning in my brain. I am tasting increasingly what the prophet Isaiah declared when he said, you keep in perfect peace he whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts in you. I'm tasting longer and longer moments of perfect peace in my head because it's about him. See, the journey of our faith is to live increasingly whereby the truth of God, we recognize lies, we take captive those lies, and we replace them with truth of God. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. You say, how do I put off my old self? Most of us think it's about our behaviors. To be made new where? In the attitude of your minds and to put on your new self, created to be like Christ Jesus. It's all in our minds. See, that is why we are people of the word. We abide in his word. Not only do we abide in his word, we abide in all of the word of God. Thomas Jefferson, you guys remember who he was? Framer of the Constitution, third president, big old statue of him in Washington, D.C. You know who he is, right? Thomas Jefferson actually did this. He took a razor blade and a pair of scissors to the New Testament. He cut out all the passages he agreed with in the New Testament. And he pasted them in another book. And all the passages he disagreed with, he left and he never looked at them again. 
It's called the Jefferson New Testament. You can actually find it online. It was discovered not in his lifetime. It was actually discovered two generations that has been passed on to his heirs. I bet none of us are so brazen as to do that to our New Testament. But do we not functionally do the same thing? We read the Bible and there are parts of the Bible that go, eh, I don't know about that part. I don't really like that part. And we kind of dismiss it and we grab hold of the parts we like. Let me challenge you. The parts we don't like are usually confronting a lie. They're confronting something we don't like. I had it happen just this past week. God is so faithful to do this. This past Tuesday, I was reading through my Bible, my regular Bible reading. I'm always reading through the whole Bible because I want the whole of Scripture to touch my life. I got to the 14th chapter of Acts. Paul and Barnabas are working their way back through some churches they had founded on this journey, and they are strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Yeah, want to remain true. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. And I go, no, don't want that one. That would be a sentence I would cut out and just, you know what, be done with. See, I can say with integrity, I pray almost every day, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want the reality of the kingdom of God, but I don't like the fact that hardship, difficulty, discomfort may be necessary for me to get that which I say that I want. And as I sat there and I abode, I don't know, do you abode? I abided, I don't know what you do. As I made my home in this word, I realized I was believing a lie. And that lie is that the goal of life is comfort and convenience. I'm going to be honest with you, I like comfort. I like convenience. But is that the goal of life? And I confess to God, God, I've been believing a lie that the goal of life is comfort and convenience. I declare the truth that the kingdom of God is worth everything. And all these scriptures of Jesus talking about the kingdom came to my mind and the value of the kingdom and selling everything to have the kingdom. And I kept going over, no, your kingdom is worth everything, oh God. And so if that means that when I follow you, I have to do hard things, then I'm going to go with you to do the hard things because when I do hard things with you, they become easy and I obtain that which I want in life. See, that is the truth. And as I make my home in the truth, that truth leads to freedom in our minds. You get what I'm saying? See, we have a war going on. There are strongholds that the enemy has, but God has given us weapons that are divine to tear down the strongholds. And the first weapon we have, believe it or not, is the weapon of truth. By truth, we recognize lies and we take captive destructive thoughts as we grow more and more in being people who know the truth of God, but we also live by the truth of God in our lives. See, our reading this week is going to expand upon it. Not the part about absolute truth. The, the reading actually assumes that you believe the Bible is true. I'm going to challenge most of us are still struggling to believe it's all absolutely true. That's the journey we're on. We've got to embrace it. But in chapters 2 and 3, uh, are going to go into depth about replacing lies with truth. And there's those exercises at the end. If, if I had a choice, I would tell you to read the chapters fast and spend a long time on the exercises. Let God do a work there. Now, if I really had a choice, I would tell you to read the chapters slow and do the exercises slow. It is worth the investment of your time and your energy. I implore you, take some time and let the Lord do this work in your life. I want you to make no mistake. The disciplines of our mind are the most important facets of our Christian journey. That's why Jesus said, if you are truly my disciples, you will abide in my word. 
when you abide in my word, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And if the Son sets you free, come on. You are free indeed. And it's time we as a people walk in the freedom that the King has purchased for us. Let's bow our heads for a few moments. North Campus online right now. If you're driving, keep your eyes open. Both hands on the wheel, but you start praying right now. Have you embraced Jesus' truth? Come on, even right now. Maybe right now you have never said yes to his gift. See, God is so loving that he made a way for us to go to the Father, but he never makes us do it. You have to say yes to that gift. You have to embrace Jesus as Lord. You have to embrace Jesus as Savior. You have to say, yes, I give you my life and I receive everything. Here's the amazing truth. He's already paid the price for you. He's already declared your value. But he wants you to respond in love to him. And you do so right now. Maybe you've never done it, but you say right now, God, I am a sinner. And I can't do enough to fix myself. But I believe Jesus did more than enough to make me right with you. And so I give my life to you and I receive what Jesus has given to me. You say, I am yours. I give myself to you. Let me be a man, let me be a woman who walks increasingly day by day in freedom. Maybe you've done that in your life. I've made a discovery that we can have said yes to Jesus but still be very bound. Do you remember when Lazarus rose, Jesus called Lazarus out? He actually gave two commands. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out as alive as any of you and I, breathing just like you and I, heart beating just like you and I. But he was still wrapped in his grave clothes, not able to live fully in the totality of the aliveness Jesus gave to him. And the second command, loose him and let him go. Jesus has taken us on a journey right now to be loosed in our minds. But it starts with truth. And I implore you, just to make this little confession. Right now, you can do it out loud in a whisper. You can do it in your head, but out loud is usually better. You say, Jesus, I believe you are the way. Jesus, I believe you are the truth. Jesus, I believe you are the life. You hold on to that word truth. And now you ask Jesus, by your truth, begin to show me the lies, the strongholds that are in my mind. And give me grace, O oh God to replace those lies with your truth. That through the way I think, I'll bring glory to you. Father, we love you. Our hearts are overwhelmed at your grace. So Father, give us grace this week. Just the lies that you want us to see, the strongholds, begin to show us the truths that tear down those strongholds and let us hold on to those. Let us embrace those. I speak a word of hope. There are some of you right now that you just feel hopeless. You say, this can never work in my life. That is a lie from the pit of hell. It absolutely can work. Will it happen in a moment? Probably not. Because even if God does in a moment one thing, there are other things he still wants us to journey with him on. But Father, I pray that you would give hope to every man and woman that we can think 
exactly like you want us to think. We have been given the mind of Christ, your word says. Let us increasingly walk in that, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. I got to get y'all out of here. We got another service coming. But we're not trying to get out too fast. We just need to dismiss so we have prayer time. If anything, in the, if you are feeling a hopelessness about your mind, that you say, I, just, I don't think there's any way I can have peace in my mind, I want you to come let one of our prayer partners pray with you because I believe there's a breakthrough of hope that God wants to give to you and I. That is a lie. The lie of hopelessness is what the enemy is ministering in a big way right now. I encourage you to come get prayer. Some other things specifically. Someone playing uh, tug of war in their minds. Um, Feels like either direction you're being pulled to is a loss. We want to pray if that picture's for you. Saw a picture of a young child being given green popsicles. Over and over, always the lime green. Now you're an adult. I didn't like lime popsicles. Maybe that's the whole idea behind this. Your life has played out like people have handed you popsicle you didn't ask for in life. Huh, that's what they said, see? Um, someone came to church this morning hoping they would receive more of the Holy Spirit. He's here for you. Come and get more of the Holy Spirit. Someone um, that likes butterflies and has had their thought that the dust comes off their wings. I didn't know butterflies had dust on their wings. Um, they felt like they were meant to fly, but they feel grounded. That's for you. Picture of someone with a spear, and they were using it defensively because they were crippled in fear, and God wants to turn that into an offensive weapon. We can go against the attack of the enemy. Someone has made the statement, where is my voice? You're trying to find your voice. Someone with a red shirt. I see you. <laughs> Felt like they have been living a hidden life. And then somebody stumbled across the sermon online talking to you guys and had the thought if this preacher says purple porcupine. There you go, purple porcupine. I didn't say it well, but I can say it, that you will know God is real and you'll give your life to him. So maybe that's your sign. So if that's you, I want to hear the story, okay? So ride in, but you give your life to Jesus, okay? Let's put our hands out in front of us. Let's receive blessing. Hear the words, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. Why would he make his face shine upon us? So we know him better. So we know him better, we know truth, and that truth sets us free in our minds. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his countenance towards you and give you his peace. I ask, B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, Prince of Peace. And the people of God said... Amen and amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you right back here next week.